This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the fall of 2022, we're going to be studying Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah. And we've already looked at Amos and Jonah. If you all remember, we had Mike Livingston, who was our guest. And for the four weeks, uh, we looked at Amos. Tim Pollard was with us the last two weeks. We looked at Jonah. So now we're being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is one of the members of the Adult Explore the Bible editorial team. And Bob's going to help us handle the four studies from the book of Hosea. So Bob, you are our resident expert on Hosea. How does that make you feel? It's a pretty scary proposition, Dwayne. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> well, today we're going to look at session seven. It's the first session of our study of Hosea. We're going to be looking at chapters one, verses two through nine, and chapter three, one through five. And the title is The Unfaithful Bride. Here's the outline that we've proposed that we'll be following in our resources. The first one is Obedience Demonstrated, and it's from Hosea chapter one, verses two through seven. In these verses, God directed Hosea to marry an unreputable woman, which he did. Gomer gave birth to a son whom they named Jezreel, which pointed to the demise of Israel. Gomer also gave birth to a daughter who was given the name Lo-Rahama, which pointed to God no longer showing compassion to Israel. The thing for us to remember as we look at these passages is, is that believers should remain faithful to God in all areas of their lives. The second sex, section of the outline, we've entitled Unfaithfulness Seen. We're looking at verses eight and nine of chapter one. In these verses, Gomer gave birth to a son who was given the name of Lo-Ami, pointing to Israel no longer being called God's people. For us, the point is that believers are to faithfully carry the qualities of the father. The last section, which is in chapter three, verses one through five, We've entitled Restoration Salt. In these verses, God directs Hosea to take Gomer back, even though she is now involved with another man. Hosea was to do this as an illustration of God's love for Israel. Hosea purchases Gomer and then placed her in isolation, establishing boundaries for her. God would also isolate Israel from their idols and pagan practices in exile until they began to seek him. The main point here is that all people can return to God, knowing that we will find forgiveness and restoration. Bob, we've got some interesting things here in these first three chapters. This is probably the part of Hosea most people are familiar with, the story of his marriage. Uh, this term here, prom promiscuity or uh, irreputable, whatever, different translations use different um, way, uh, different words. What's possible ways of understanding the character of the woman that Hosea is directed to marry? Yeah, this really is an interesting uh, book. It's the first book in the Minor Prophets, so it's sort of the first thing people come to. And I think you're right. When people think about Hosea, they think about this part of the story. Uh, you know, the book itself just kind of jumps in. It doesn't give you a whole lot of information about Hosea. It doesn't give a lot of background. It just kind of begins with this this quick little identification and then, and then God's command to, to marry this woman of promiscuity or, or woman of ill repute or however you want to say that. And there's really two ideas behind this. One is some folks will believe that 
that he's talking about a woman who was essentially chaste, uh, who was loyal, who was faithful to begin with. And then she strayed after they became husband and wife. Uh, the other idea is that she was pretty much a, an, an irreputable person before he ever met her, that she already was promiscuous. Uh, and, and to be honest, we kind of like with our 21st century sensibilities, we kind of like to lean toward number one because we, we like to give her the benefit of the doubt. But, but actually, theory number two is what fits the text better. It's what fits the Hebrew wording better. It's what fits just the context of what God is trying to teach through this, this object lesson uh, a whole lot better. So, you know, we kind of have to follow that line of thinking. Um, Either way, Hosea is demonstrating obedience. Yeah, he whichever is. Whichever one you go. Yeah, he is. And it, it's, it's, it's interesting that it, it would be easy to think that Hosea just heard from God and followed through with it and, you know, endured all this with a stiff upper lip and, and said, okay, you know, this is going to be all right. But I think as you read through the book, and this is, this is one of the things, you know, when we, when we edit this curriculum, we read through this, the passages multiple times and, and we really immerse ourselves in it. And one of the things that really struck me is it's just how personal this is and how painful this is for Hosea. He, you know, he's not just a metaphor. He's not just a symbol. Uh, and, and he, he, he was betrayed. He was hurt. Um, and, and, and I think some of, some of that comes through in his wording and his, in, in his emotions. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is one of those deals where, where he suffered a whole lot. And, and I think, I think we need to, I think we need to bring that out. I think it's worth mentioning. I think it's worth emphasizing, uh, for, for the folks in our classes that, that this was a real man going through a real crisis and, um, it wasn't easy for him, but he was obedient all the same. We're told that they have three children. There's questions about the third one, obviously. Um, we've got three names. What's the significance of the names given to these children? You know, I've, I've got three kids of my own they're all pretty much grown and they're successful adults now, but, uh, each of their names means something in particular. I was thinking about this as, as I was kind of reflecting on this question, you know, my oldest son is named after me. He's a junior. And so he, he carries that with him for better or for worse at times. Uh, <laughs> My, my middle child is another son, and, and his name is Caleb, and we named him after the, the character from the Bible, uh, because there's a, there's a verse in, in Numbers that talks about Caleb having a unique spirit, and that's sort of what we wanted for our son. And then my daughter, uh, the youngest, is, is named after her grandmother, or my grandmother, her great-grandmother. And so each of these names means something to our family. Each of these names says something about who we wanted them to be and, and how we wanted them to grow and what we wanted to shape them. And, and we wanted to keep the connection there with the family unit and, and let them know that they were grounded in that. You look at these three, these three names of Hosea's children, and it's almost the exact opposite. Instead of grounding them in something, instead of securing them and giving them a, a safety net, it's almost like they're walking around with with this rejection, with this, uh, this abandonment. And that's what the names, uh, that's what those names uh, mean. You mentioned it in the kind of the introduction, you know, Jezreel, that was an image of violence and bloodiness and, and uh, just, you know, uh, just a vendetta. If you take, take it back to, to King Jehu, who came into Jezreel and just essentially wiped out all of Ahab's family. Uh, it, it's just a, a, a lot of violence and a lot of blood. 
It was an ugly time in their it history. It was. It was. And and he just went crazy with it and uh, initially obeying God's commands to do all that, but then but then taking it too far and and actually falling into the same traps as with his own family. Um, so you know that that that's a tough thing to carry around if you're a kid. Uh, Lou Rohama is is another. You know, it means no compassion or it means not loved. That's basically like labeling a kid unlovable. You know, you can you can imagine that if in a in a contemporary setting, you know, sitting in fourth grade class or whatever, the teacher calling the roll and someone saying, "Okay, is unlovable here today?" You know, is is the one that has no compassion that nobody cares about? Is she here today? Imagine walking around with that, uh, or in in low on me, you know, not my people. That's like naming a kid rejection. <laughs> you know, is the rejected one here today? Is the one that we're all turning our backs on? Is, is she is is he here today? that's those are terrible stigmas for kids to walk around with every time they someone called them by name it was a reminder it was like a knife being put put into their backs but the thing is as bad as it was for them it was even worse for the nation of israel because that's what this was really all about cod was saying you know you're going to pay for all this bloodiness you're going to you're going to have to live a life where where you're feeling unloved where we're disconnected your your relationship with me has been damaged um, you know, and I, I'm not for years and years and years, I've been saying that you are my people, that you are my chosen ones. But now I'm saying that you're not my people anymore. And I'm rejecting you. I'm turning my back on you. and You're going to go into exile. That's what it meant for the nation. So as bad as it was for Hosea's literal kids, it was a message that was even more dire for uh, the nation. If they, And they still didn't listen. They still didn't pay attention. In chapter three, we find... God telling Hosea to go purchase back Gomer. She's she's left him living with another man in some form or fashion. We find we found that word at verse one, chapter one uh, about uh, promiscuous or irreputable, but in chapter two we find the phrase an adulterous woman. Mm-hmm. Help us think through the difference in those two phrases between chapter one and chapter three. Yeah, Here, here's what I was thinking. What what kind of comes to my mind with this? Adultery requires marriage. <laughs> you can't be an adulterer or an adulteress in this case, unless you have a marriage relationship. You can be promiscuous, you can be immoral, but you can't be an adulterer unless you're in a marriage relationship. And so, when the when when the story shifts from her being promiscuous to her being an adulteress, that's an emphasis on the vow. It's an emphasis on the covenant. And how she had broken and abandoned that that commitment that she had made to to Hosea, um, and that was a perfect illustration of what Israel had done to God. Uh, that that for years and years and years he had courted her, he had he had carried her, he had he had loved her, the nation of Israel that is, and and yet she can she rebelled. Uh, she, by the, by this point in time, she was in full rebellion. Israel was in full, complete rejection of God and his covenant and his law and his ways. And so, you know, that the covenant that had been established first through Abraham and then reinforced through the law of Moses, and even, even through the, the, the Davidic covenant, covenant and the kingship, all that had been shattered and all that had been kind of cast behind them. This was Israel's history. This was Israel's legacy. And um, it, it's a much uh, it's a much darker term to me, uh, adultery, adulteress. Uh, it, it 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 means something much more painful, means something much more intentional. Um, but 
it, it, it was sort of where Israel was at that time. And, and so God was, was responding to that. The, the idea of buying back, how does that point forward to Jesus? We don't know a whole lot about the situation. We don't know what she was doing exactly, what he was buying her back from. But I think one of the things that, that we pick up on pretty quickly as we read that text is that he had to pay a pretty steep price. Uh, scholars will tell you that the, that the price of a slave, and that's essentially what she was by this point, was, was around 30, 30 pieces of silver. Well, he didn't have that. Uh, the text said he had 15, 15 shekels. Um, and so he had to probably threw in this grain, this barley that it talks about, as sort of to balance things out a little bit. So this was an incredible, extra, not really extravagance, but uh, a cost to him personally. For, him, for Hosea, it would have been yes. extravagant. Yes. Not a man yeah. of means. It, it put him, yeah, it put him in a hole, but it, it also expressed the love that he had for her. And so when you take that and you, and that was the immediate context of Hosea. This was, this is what he was saying to God's people, that, that God was going to pay this price, that God was going to redeem and ransom this people, and that one day he was going to rebuild them. Well, it's impossible to look at that, at least for me, to look at that and not reflect on what Jesus did for us. I think it's, it's entirely appropriate for us to take that immediate context and extrapolate it out and realize that this was actually a picture of something even greater that God was going to do. Um, they, had that, they had that going on in the 8th century B.C., but it also reminds us that there was something that was going to happen in the first century BC, and it was going to resonate all the way to the 21st century BC or AD. One thing folks may be curious about here is the term or the use of the phrase raisin cakes, not something that we look forward to for a snack. I, I don't know the last time I, I, I went down to the kitchen and thought, man, I sure would like a raisin cake today. Um, what's the fascination with a raisin cake here? Actually, I like raisins. Uh, I put them in my oatmeal. I, I, sometimes I'll just grab a handful of them. I try to keep a box. Um, so maybe, maybe you and I are a little different in that respect. Uh, when you think of raisin cake, it's basically it was basically just uh, raisins that had been smashed together. I, the, the the analogy I have is if you're familiar with fig Newton bars, you know they're wrapped in the dough and everything. That middle section where the where the pressed figs are, that's sort of what a raisin cake was like. It was like just raisins squashed together. And because and people would often in, in these times, they would use raisins or raisin cakes uh, to, to kind of give them a quick snack, a quick energy source. When, they're, when they were getting hungry, when they were famished, they could eat these raisin cakes and, and kind of get a burst of energy. They were maybe the, the ancient Israel's answer to five-hour energy drinks. I don't know. But they were, they were something that would give them a little boost. And they also had symbolic meaning. They, they had, you know, David in... Um, when he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, into Jerusalem, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he gave people raisin cakes as part of the celebration. Uh, in Song of Songs, Solomon talks about raisin cakes, um, which kind of gives it a, a sense that maybe there was an aphrodisiac or, or, or some, kind of, some kind of special power it had there. So raisin cakes weren't necessarily bad. They weren't evil in themselves. They were actually used as part of celebration to honor things that God had given his people. The problem that, that Hosea was seeing was they were using these raisin cakes in pagan idolatry. They weren't offering them to God. They weren't offering them in a, in a sense of worship, and they weren't sharing them as gifts as part of a celebration of, of Jehovah and, and what he had done for them. They were, they were offering these to, to false idols, um, to, to false gods. 
And if if they play on that aphrodisiac angle, then they were probably using them with cult prostitutes as a form of worship. And so when when Hosea says, hey, you, you spent a whole lot of your time loving these raisin cakes, it's not a good thing. It's a sarcastic kind of warning to them that you need to get beyond this and come back to the to the God who's calling you by name. One of the ideas in the leader guide and in the leader helps in the daily discipleship guide is for us to create on a large sheet of paper, a two column chart on one column. We're going to, we would label it Hosea slash Gomer and the other side, we name it God or label it God Israel. And then we ask the group, how does Hosea's marriage mirror the relationship between God and his people? And as we walk through each section, we would add additional ideas to that uh, chart. So we would see here's Hosea and Gomer. And then here's the relationship between God and Israel. Of course, when we got down to raisin cakes, we could see their relationship uh, and then how the folks in Israel had replaced their love for raisin cakes and worship of a raisin cake for God and his mercy in their lives. So uh, that's a, a, a good way to get a handle on these verses uh, in both chapter one and chapter three, as we walk through this, we'll have to fill in some, but, but you know, summarize chapter two as we move from the, from the study, uh, the part of the study where we looked at chapter one, uh, verses eight through nine, and then when we move to chapter three, verses one through five. But I think that's a good way to help us um, keep those things straight and keep those ideas in front of our group so that we can see how this marriage, as rocky as it was, parallels the relationship between God and his people, as rocky as it was too. Bob, are there any other key ideas or thoughts you would share from this first session in Hosea? Two things that I would encourage leaders, and, and even if, if members are listening to this podcast, to kind of think through as we walk through this. This is the first of four lessons, so there's a whole lot more ground that we're going to need to cover in the next month or so. But two things is, is number one, I think that don't miss personal application. It's easy to look at the story of Hosea and, and the, the sin that the Israelites were, were trapped in and say, well, that's not me. <laughs> but if God's word is really valuable, and if God's word is really, um, really designed to help even us today, there's going to be some application there. It may not be comfortable, but it's, it's going to be things that we're going to be able to, to, to take into our lives here in the 21st century. The other thing, I, and we've, we've seen this in other prophets that we've looked at so far, but I would encourage folks to continue to, to look for those times when God brings his people back. A lot of it is judgment. A lot of it is sin. A lot of it is ugly. But there's always this glimmer of hope where God says, hey, one of these days, things are going to be different. And I would, t- I would encourage people to, to look intentionally for those kind of spots and to, to, to kind of celebrate that and to, to see what, what it has to say in our lives. Yeah, throughout this study of Hosea, I think we'll see that theme of, of the people have disobeyed God. They're facing judgment. Judgment's coming. But yet there's always the promised hope of restoration uh, somewhere in that message. And I think we'll keep seeing that theme yes. as we go through Hosea. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage our folks out there uh, to every week take a look at the blog posts that are posted at goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. These are posted on Thursdays 
and these posts will help you get a better understanding of Explore the Bible resources and the ideas behind these resources. Once again, that's GoExploreTheBible.com. Thank you all for listening to us today. We'll hope you will encourage other teachers to tune in next week. Bob and I will be looking at session eight. We'll be looking at Hosea chapter six, verse one through seven, two. And we'll be looking at the idea of God despises false repentance, delighting instead in undivided loyalty.